You're listening to Arsenal Pass, a flesh and blood podcast for players by players. And all about strategy, leveling up, and the latest news in the world of Wraith. Welcome to Arsenal Pass. No worries, no worries. Brendan, do you have a favorite card from Dynasty so far? Um, favorite card. I don't know. I think that our spoiler card might be my favorite card because it's maybe one of the most powerful cards ever printed. I think that the more I think about that card and revisit it, the more I'm just like, why is this not an on-hit trigger? Why is this just inherent? Um, yeah, Pulse Wave Harpoon, I think, is fundamentally above rate because I watched that math video recently, actually. Um, I don't know if you saw it. It was like an hour long. They like broke down the math. They talked about the magic value or the magic number of eight. Pulse Wave Harpoon, Harpoon's ability is actually valued at one point out of eight, which it definitely is far above that. You get full information on the hand. You get to, get to take a key card out of the hand. Um, it's just so good. And I think we'll lead into that when we talk about the Battle Hardened Philly results where Dash uh, performed quite well. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, if you I actually saw that video as well. It's so funny being a Welcome to Wraith Boomer. I was watching this video being like, okay. Uh, I'm ready for the what's the what's the like the the big groundbreaking, but it's it's so funny. I think just uh, that video really breaks down well what is kind of fundamental to this game. It's funny they talk about like uh, the rule the rule of eight, or they're talking about like adding up to eight. Uh, I've always known it as like the rule of four and the design principle of flesh and blood, but um, it's interesting to see the way they presented it. But uh, yeah, like design and and balancing of flesh and blood is and the kind of design rules they use are really interesting and and um i can't remember who posted that video but uh it is out there and i I know it's been circling floating around and um i think those guys break it down really well so cool great to see welcome back to arsenal pass episode 84 of course next to my good buddy brendan patrick right here welcome to the show of course caster extraordinaire uh this week we're diving into dynasty with constructed so dynasty has now released been out for almost a week uh we had the blitz events over the weekend these uh they like uh these super armories these dynasty armory events where they were giving out these cool regicide promos uh managed to sag myself one brendan actually but uh i didn't go four oh i just got it through a lucky draw so <laughs> um and we're looking at first of all we're gonna look at five classes so we're gonna break this into two two part episode so next week will be the final five classes this week we are looking at our warriors our brutes our wizards our mechanologists and our rangers and looking at the impact dynasty has for you know where to start building decks uh synergies what cards are going to be the sort of standouts from the set and uh, where we think these classes might go in a new dynasty meta both across class constructed and blitz uh but first brendan patrick how was your week in flesh and blood well, uh, I took a little bit of a break from Flesh and Blood post-Worlds. I had some stuff to sort of catch up on on the real-life side. Um, you know, been doing a lot of traveling recently, so focusing on that, focusing on running, of course, <laughs> which has been brutal but very rewarding. I'm, <clears throat> I'm already, I think that today was a really key day for me i did about 5.7 miles uh of trail running so not on pavement or anything like that and it's the route that i used to ride my mountain bike on for like a daily thing i would say as recent as a month ago to run that entire trail would have been something i would probably 
would have considered to be impossible. So feels good to do that. Um, and I can just see that I'm making a lot of progress, but yeah, not too much flesh and blood, to be honest, um, was on the instant speed podcast with, uh, flake DeMarco recently, which was a joy, of course, uh, really enjoy talking to that guy and enjoy casting with him even more. But yeah, excited to dig into dynasty. I think it's a great set, much more akin to the crucible of war, uh, era of flesh and blood rather than the Everfest, in my opinion. Brendan, we, we got our wish. You know, we talked about a lot about what we wanted from Dynasty. We even did a, a full Patreon pod about it, but we, we talked about it week after week in the lead up to Dynasty as we started the previous season. And we talked through kind of our thoughts and feelings as we started to see these first cards and and the final set release and, you know, just playing some games over the weekend. Uh, I'm impressed. I think my first take on Dynasty is good set. Let's see how it shakes up in the competitive meta, but from a gameplay standpoint and enjoyability, I just feel like there's, when Crucible dropped, I felt like, wow, there's so much to explore. Like, where do I start? Where do I start? I felt overwhelmed, but like in a good way. And when Everfest came out, I didn't really have that same feeling, but I, I've got that feeling I have with Crucible, Crucible of War again. You know, this weekend I messed around with Brutes and then I was like, oh, but this, you know, I saw other people doing other stuff and I was like, I want to, I want to do that. I want to, I want to pulse wave harpoon. I want to hyperdrive and mechanoid suit my opponents and, you know, uh, I want to play a wizard with the new cards and so many different things. So, yeah, um, I played two of the armor events over the weekend. I actually, same as you, I plan to just not play any Flesh and Blood for, for two weeks, but Dynasty just, just got me riled up, Brendan. So uh, I got out there, played Olivia in one and played Reiner in the other. And um, look, it's safe to say that uh, Reiner hates me. So, you know, probably going to have to put that down for a while. But, you know, it's a story for another day. But I, I think I was really impressed with Olivia, actually. Uh, and blitz and i think it might be good in class constructed but we'll we'll get to that in this uh in this pub yeah i mean levia levia does have some of the highest expressed value of attack of any class in the game yes some of those cards don't defend though true Uh, but uh i mean technically i mean in the in the mind of michael hamilton wounded bull also doesn't defend unless your opponent arsenal sink below then it does start to defend all right, let's get into the news, Brendan. And uh, yeah, Dynasty release weekend. If you haven't got your hands on Dynasty yet, it is now available on sale. Uh, I don't. I haven't heard too much about like this wave of product. You know, in the past, obviously, we've had issues with distribution and uh, supply chain challenges for Legend Story Studios with their distributors around the world and getting product into people's hands. From what I understand, it, it's not been as bad this time around. You know, I think people have gotten the product they've wanted to get. Uh, second waves are already with distributors. I understand in terms of. Uh, product heading to stores distributors trying to get it out the door um but it also seemed like it was a pretty successful launch weekend and a, a lot of demand for the product so it's gonna be really interesting i think over the first month to see how people react to it what people want i mean i'm hearing stuff about maybe some logistics being short printed which you know i don't know if there's any basis to that i think that's more of a uh more of a hype and a meme thing but um alongside that there there is a lot of cards in the set i myself opened i think ended up getting two cases i think like didn't even open like a bunch of the Majestics, you know, just didn't see them. So uh, there is, is it over 50 Majestics in the set? There's a lot of cards in the set. So um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how people respond to opening product, secondary market, all those things. Yeah, I've got a closet full of surgical, instra- surgical extractions at this point. Um, just so. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I have no idea if that's real or not, but it's all over Fab Twitter for what it's worth. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Well, yeah, I, I had I wanted to get my master set, so I bought everything over the weekend, and I think I paid like forty dollars for such a 
Because I just said to someone, I said, just give me the cards and I'll 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 pay you like the TCG price or whatever. And then I was like going through it and I was like, 45? I didn't know about this. And I was like, 40? What is going on? And then later on that night on Twitter, I saw it and I was like, I mean, whatever. Um, but yeah, very, very interesting. It was one of the coolest things actually over the weekend playing games was people would play a card. And a lot of these cards have the names of magic cards and they were bringing and, and very like prominent magic cards as well and they brought me back to actually playing games of magic back in the day that i really enjoyed you know sort of i'm talking like six seven years ago surgical extraction in particular was a card that uh was quite quite prominent in the modern metagame and extended metagame uh skull crack was a card that you know i discarded a few times to gain some resource it does something completely different in magic the gathering but, but brought back some memory so I just thought that was kind of a, a cooler side over the weekend. Um, battle Hardened Philly. So the first Dynasty event did happen over the weekend, uh, a Battle Hardened event and a PTI event on the Sunday, which did see, of course, Dynasty being played. And a really interesting sort of top eight from the Battle Hardened uh, that saw three Dash, two Jeremiah, two Icelander, and a Bravo. No Briar, no Icelander. Uh, so the finals at the, P- at, at the World Championships, we didn't see either of those heroes in the top eight. Ultimately, uh, one of the Dash players taking it down. Um, and... Yeah, I thought just interesting top eight to see Jeremiah and Icelander in there, but also Dash. I mean, Dash does seem, you know, we saw a lot of Hanabi Blaster decks being played at that event. I caught a, a small amount of the coverage. I know uh, Ethan Van Sant was doing a bit of a stream. I caught a little bit, um, but I didn't see a lot of it. But I did hear from people sort of the deck list being played. A lot of, there was some pretty crazy stuff going on with like Hanabi Blaster and and uh, the mech suit and things like that as well. Yeah, I, I really do think that mech might be one of the biggest winners in, in Dynasty. But if not, it's, it has sort of the the clearest just strict upgrades with some cards, right? And Hanabi Blaster fits right into that boost dash deck. The boost dash deck got direct upgrades to things like Pulse Wave Harpoon. I think if you're looking at the entire set of Dynasty and you are potentially overwhelmed by all of the different choices there <laughs> that are presented to you, um, an aggressive dash deck is definitely something that you're going to see at least some success with, which is what we saw on the weekend. Yeah, so I, I think uh, I think it was Rose was the the player who won. I, I think their deck had a lot of different. I think they might have had a hybrid as well in terms of. I saw pistol at one point when I when I tuned in in the top eight match. So I think we've we've seen like yeah, but we'll, I think we'll talk about it when we get into the mix side. But there's so many cards in the set plus what you have existing for dash and again going back to that crucible of war thing and what we're seeing with the set, just different avenues and different ways to play a deck, and maybe you can put two or three of those elements into one. 80 card shell and be able to switch between them so it's gonna be interesting uh, and then i think the pti event on the second day uh was won by brody spurlock i don't know what brody was playing but you know it's just uh just canon at this point that brody will top eight probably every battle harden <laughs> that he goes to i think he was also in the top eight on the saturday as well i think he actually has maybe top eight every single one uh close to yeah Maybe not Minneapolis, but I'm pretty sure every single other one. He, well, maybe he's top aided like either it's the main event or the Sunday event. But um, yeah. yeah, he's on a tear, definitely. <laughs> he's, he's actually a local. Well. Yeah, he's a local of mine too. So I, I knew him quite a quite a quite a while before he sort of burst onto the scene uh, playing all these battle hardens. And he's just he's a local grinder. He plays like six or seven armories a week. Yeah. Well, congrats to Rose and to, to Brody for the, for the big weekend. Um, we did a five, 5K sub giveaway uh, over the last week. And there was we, we talked about it last week. If you missed it, we asked for some sort of like comments, thoughts, reactions in the last episode that we did. Uh, and we had a few things to give away, including Brendan, I made sure I put it on. We've got 
one of these t-shirts that'll be in the pack, uh, Arsenal Pass t-shirt. If you can see that, that myself and Brenda were seen wearing at the banquet on the Friday night, as well as over the PT weekend. Uh, there's a resource token, which uh, we talked about those last week as well with uh, fair metal tokens. We have done an Arsenal Pass resource token. I don't I don't have one with me, Brendan, but um, I'll throw it up on the screen so you can see it. Those are now live for sale as well up on fair metal tokens. Middle fab tokens. Man, he's going to kill me for that. Oh, Middlefabtokens.com. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did it on Instant Speed the other day as well. I was like, he's like, where can you get these? I was like, Metal fab tokens or fab metal tokens, one of them. Abs <laughs> in the middle because the logo. Yeah. Anyway, middle fab tokens. Uh, uh, you can go pick those up. They're on sale now for everyone. Uh, and as well, there's in this pack there is some Herald of Rebirths uh, playset of those and a playmat and Arsenal Pass Brendan Patrick special life pad, uh, which I think are pretty cool. So um, we've got two winners for that, Brendan. I'm just uh, I'm gonna bear with me. I'm gonna grab their names. So our winners for the 5K sub giveaway and receiving these packs, please do drop us, uh, either comment on this and just drop us, what's the best way to do this? Email us at arsenalpassfab at gmail.com with your shipping details, your full name, and uh, we'll get these over to you. Also, let us know what size t-shirt you take. Uh, Caleb W is one of our winners and Devin S. So uh, thank you both for your comments, your kind comments and kind words. I think they're both about Brendan actually. Uh, in his commentary which you know don't big him up too much but yeah uh, congratulations to both our winners do get in touch with us so that we can get those out to you as soon as possible and again those tokens are available now uh brendan just want to give a big shout out to our our patrons and we did actually throw up a another patreon uh, cyborg guide courtesy of chandler toe our calling san jose winner i did a deck tech with chandler which you can now check out on the youtube channel uh we did that last week chandler one of the nicest and coolest guys in flesh and blood and uh i was really impressed we did a we sat down did a deck tech really impressed with his rhino list and the thought process behind a lot of the cards in his rhino list that ones i did, never considered myself and and how he put that list together and how he looked to play into different matchups and uh his, his guide is very detailed as well that's now up on, on patreon um so go check that out and, and thanks big thanks to chandler uh what a guy and uh we do also have the the world championships vlog that's on the way our sort of our world championship video uh should be up in the next week or so just an edit at the moment and uh we will be doing something with kano just trying to find some time to do that and we'd also like to know what videos you'd love to see us do what uh you know dynasty's out what about deck techs deck guides are there people you want us to get on uh please do give us your feedback drop in the comments on youtube let us know who what where when why you would like for arsenal past videos for the remainder of the year and into the new year with Dynasty dropping, me and Brendan need to sit down and, and plan out what the rest of the year in January looks like. So opportunity to get your ideas in. Brendan, going to throw it over you for Fitness Challenge. Uh, maybe give us those details again. And just for those who maybe missed it last week, what is happening with the Fitness Challenge in Feb? Yep. So it's uh, February 19th. There is a marathon in Austin, Texas. There's a half marathon and 5K available. Um, heavily encourage you to get involved and come join us in Austin. So this one's a bit different from the last fitness challenge. There will be sort of a culminating event where people are meeting in person, um, working on getting some other big content creators involved. I have a lot of verbal commitments, but I need the real commitments, um, specifically looking at team covenant. I wouldn't normally name the content creators, but because Steven is, you know, he likes to ride that fence. If you guys want to shoot him a message and tell him to get his ass down here, that'd be great. Zach Bunn has verbally committed to me, whether or not he was inebriated, most of those nights uh, <laughs> and when he committed, that's not my problem. So he said he's going to come and yeah, working to try to get flake out there as well. I think that this would, it's a really cool because it is a lot of work uh, to prepare for events like this. Uh, running is not the best, but the, 
if we all get to meet in person, hang out for the weekend and sort of cap this all off, I think it's going to be an, an awesome, an awesome event. Hayden and I will work on the back end here soon enough to try to find some sponsors for that event and potentially raffle off some um, flights and accommodations, stuff like that. But yeah, everything is sort of chugging along as it is. And if you're interested in joining us on February 19th, I highly suggest you start training. If you want to see daily-ish updates from me, join the Arsenal Pass Patreon. Our Discord has a specific Discord channel from it. Most of our communication outside of that, outside of text communication, is done on the Strava app. If you don't have that, it's the greatest fitness app ever created. I've used it every day for probably four to five years and yeah you can follow people and it's like a social app for fitness and attracts literally everything so recommend you check that out and join our little club on there cool yeah i mean the the fitness challenge has been ongoing in our discord as well which has been super awesome i gotta shout out a few people who uh recently have just sort of updated on their their fitness journey post the uh, the, the fab fitness challenge that happened uh earlier this year and um zach uh marco tickler foundry uh ian you know, there's just been some, uh, T, Tebow, there's been some amazing results that people have continued their journey and some people have had, like, honestly, just fantastic results. So big shout out to those uh, who have continued to not only have these results, but inspire, I think, others in the in the channel and continue to motivate one another, which has been um, great to see. And I'm excited to see what happens in Jan, Feb, post Christmas as well. So past, post after all the, uh, the, the turkey and um, whatnot that I'll be eating, Brendan. Yeah, still in the freezing cold weather, though, unfortunately. Well, it'll be hot, hot, hot over the side of the world. So, um, on to the Commander Cookout. Brendan, speaking of food and firing up grills and, and barbies in the summer, uh, we got a great Commander Cookout question this week from Lucas Oswald, uh, who this question actually came through through Patreon. And Lucas says, uh, Well, I guess this is kind of a Commander Cookout question. You're right, it is, Lucas. But what are your thoughts on cards that will clearly need a banning in the future? I have three examples, Ardivore, Belittle, and Stalagmite. Ardivore and Belittle both break a tenant of the game, using cards and resources respectively. And Stalagmite into mini aggro decks can gain you ridiculous amounts of life. Into Runeblade, for example, consistently blocks 11, two Rosettas, and three. Let's see what you're saying there. Do you think cards like that will likely be banned with future heroes? Should be banned now, like Stubby Hammerers, so the devs don't have to work with constraints of those types of broken cards. Brennan. Got any mm. thoughts on this? I, I have a lot of thoughts on this because I actually have a, I have a list of cards that I've kind of been running yeah. since the start of Flesh and Blood that I've always thought would potentially uh, get banned for, for reasons similar to what Lucas is talking about here. Yeah, I would say definitely bold statement on those being the three targeted cards. So the on, there's only one that really stands out in the three examples given to me, which is Belittle. I think Belittle like fundamentally breaks some of the core tenets of the game. Um, is it... Is it overpowered and like just oppressive on the meta right now? I don't think so. So um, that's just for what it's worth. Do I think that the devs should ban it now rather than later when it becomes a problem? I don't think so. I think that you can let these cards sort of exist and run their course and potentially wait until they you know make it into some meta decks and become very very popular and adjust later. That being said. As most people in Arsenal Pass probably know, I'm not a big fan of a meta sort of starting to solidify. We're heading into a major event, and then there's a banning like two weeks before. Uh, just not my favorite as a as a competitive player, but as a caster, I love it. Um, yeah, belittles belittles on that on definitely on my list. Um, there's a card that I think that is actually not very powerful, which is also on my list, which is Oasis Respite. I just think it. I just think the design space doesn't mix. Not too much sense when you you look at defense reactions and how the 
other cards in Flesh and Blood have been designed around defense reactions, like defense reactions hosers, like Command and Conquer, a lot of Ranger cards, stuff like that. And Oasis sort of bypasses that for a one for five. Um, and there's definitely a few others, but I haven't kept an ongoing list. Belittle is definitely the one that comes to first and foremost in my mind. We talk about cards that break the core tenet of the game and um, will always be a problem potentially. Mm. What about you, Hayden? No, just just making sure that Brennan gets in his uh, his love for Wizard by making sure that he calls out Oasis for Spite, even though it's definitely not an issue. Uh, well, I don't, I, like I said, I don't think it's a good card. <laughs> I just think that, like, I don't know. It's a weird design space. It's hey, I'll point to Steelblade Shunt that's one for seven, technically, you know? I mean... Uh, yeah, I just... I mean, I haven't faced that card since Welcome to Wraith, but... Exactly, uh, exactly. Yeah. See, it all revolves around the way <laughs> what you play into. No, I, I agree. I think Oasis for Spite is an interesting card. I don't think it's a card that I would see banned, but maybe it's a card that... <clears throat> it's an interesting design space, and should they have entered into that? Don't know. Uh... I think, Lucas, you talk about cards being preemptively banned versus, uh, I guess, just-in-time banned, you know, so as they become powerful. as the, So I think a good example of this is you look at, like, Stubby Hammer is in constructed versus, Class Constructed versus Blitz. So preemptively banned, banned in Blitz by uh, LSS, knowing full well what that could do to the format with the release of Fi. Not banned in Class Constructed until we saw Fi sort of break out and then, okay, now we need to ping it back. We knew, they even said when they banned, wow, we knew this was a thing, but we wanted to see how quickly people would adopt it and where they would get to maturity of this of these deck lists, which is an interesting thing to say, but that's basically the, the, a great example of the two things that they could do, ban preemptively or ban in time. Um, I think both are really valid and I think we're going to see both continue to be used by LSS, and I think it's going to be really dependent on what events are coming up, to be honest. I think it's going to be really centered around what's happening. So I think, for instance, in that example, the preemptive ban, the preemptive ban of um, of Stubby Hammer and Blitz makes a lot of sense for a format that at the time was being used for a skirmish season coming up, was uh, more of a, a casual format at, at the time uh, before we saw it at the World Championships. And they wanted to make sure that, you know, enjoyable gameplay remained. Stubby Hammer was in Class Construct, on the other hand, we were entering into a, I want to say at that time, we were coming into a road to national season. I can't remember the timing on it. Brendan, help, help me out. I'm, maybe it was, maybe the, it was, it was, there was a constructed season that we were in the midst of, or, you know, it was before, so it was banned by the time we got to uh, Lille, of course, but I think in the road to national season around that time was legal. And I think... You know, you see that of like, okay, we want to see it out. We don't think it's as powerful as in Blitz. Let's let it run its course. And then we make the decision heading into something like the Pro Tour, you know, where there's an event on the horizon that they're more focused on. For instance, they can use a testing ground of, of more local events and then before a big event, go there. Um, so I think they'll use it continuously. I think they'll use both ways to, to look at bands. And in terms of cards, I just want to touch on this because Lucas points out three cards that are prevalent and have been talked about by a lot of people. Stalagmite. Art of War and Belittle. And Belittle has this really interesting, I think it's almost like a dichotomy. Like maybe it is on the spectrum of when you look at power and uh, design philosophy pushed, right? As above rate. But also that is a card that a lot of people see as something that is necessary into ice decks, right? Like what does a, a, an aggro deck look like into Icelander without Belittle? You know, Belittle has been pointed to in Fires, the, if not the most important card for helping that Icelander match up and continuing to balance that hero in the format. So that's interesting. Uh, there's other cards I think that could could be, you know, Berserk is another card that's just been printed that I look at and go, that's a card that could at some point be broken. It has it has words on it that yeah. are scary on a card. Tome of Fiendale is a, a card. Draw a card. Yeah, yeah draw a card. Tome of Fiendale, for instance, is a card that 
I've always been wary of and been waiting for that card to be broken. As it stands, that card has just been a part of bigger things. You know, we've seen it in Dash, we've seen it in Dromai, we've seen it in certain Ranger decks. You know, that card has been- Kano. Kano, <laughs> pretty good in Kano. Uh, we've seen it as a part of things, but it so far hasn't been the card that is as, as broken uh, open of game state. But as the game continues, like we're going to see cards continue to be banned because there's going to be cards that will do this and anything that says draw a card on it, anything that cheats resources, anything that can push damage. Art of War with Crouching Tigers, that seems scary to me. So, you know, there's, uh, you know, these cards that do things can be above rate if given the right circumstances. Those are the cards that I think are always going to be on the watch list. They're on my watch list personally. Stalagmite is, I think, more of an interesting one because its kind of upside is it's printed on the card, really. Like, you can kind of theorize exactly what that looks like in any given meta. Uh, but the card is powerful, I will admit. And I think had Ultim been in a position where it was just stomping on Agridex because of Stalagmite over and over again, then maybe we would have seen Stalagmite banned. But I think Stalagmite was a consideration at one point. Anyway. Yeah, I think it's such, it's situationally powerful, though. Um, and some decks can play around it better than others. The thing about Stalagmite as well is that there's actually quite a dichotomy of thought between Stalagmite and Rampart of Ramshot, which... I'll be honest, surprising to me. I do think this Stalagmite is just objectively better into like some of these Runeblade matchups. But I mean, uh, I, their Canadian region itself was very known for not putting Stalagmite into their old index and actually putting Rampart of the Ram's Head. The idea being that you get more value out of Rampart of the Ram's Head because you're utilizing Crown of Seeds mm-hmm. so much through the match. So yeah, Stalagmite doesn't pop out for me. It's like that, that, that needs to be banned immediately or that it, I don't know if it breaks the tenants, but yeah, situationally, it can block a ridiculous amount of damage. Um, so yeah, I agree with you, Hayden, that sort of just in time bans seem to be what they do. What like that seems to be LSS's MO, unless something is so egregiously overpowered that they need to preemptively ban it because it's effectively a mistake. Well, it's not even that. I think, say, let's say they're in development for a set, three or four sets down the line, and they're testing and they go, well, hold up, there's this card back in Arcane Rising called out of war which is now making this whole set not be viable for the way we want to take the direction of design do they change the whole design of the set and even though these cards could be within the fundamentals of flesh and blood and the design space they want to operate in but just won't operate correctly and how they want it to because of one single card then i i would expect that they go okay uh x set releases on x date at this ban announcement art of war is now banned and class constructed or blitz whatever it is and and that i can see that continuing to happen and i think that's a little bit of the stubby hammers thing right like that was a card that was a great card in monarch limited it was a card that was used sparingly in sort of in blitz and then all of a sudden it's like well we know that this can is going to break tenants of what we want to happen with this new set so we've got to get rid of that and i, I think we'll see that that'll be the majority of preemptive bans i think will be around design space and, and them identifying stuff during their testing process during the development process and then the in time bans are going to be things are too powerful got to balance things here and there yeah and i think i'll just quickly while we're here i'll probably add mask of the pouncing links to my link my list as well it's super powerful but yeah, you, you said with now. the crouch yeah with the crouching tiger stuff but in class constructed i mean the value of that card is effectively like carrying husk level value on a permanent on the battlefield and it's probably going to get worse with the crouching tiger stuff we'll see yeah i i think the lss ultimately is sort of playing it a bit by ear right we've seen the strategy of bannings um and the reasons why they ban cards kind of adapt dynamically as I don't know, the game sort of grows and matures. So um, I'm not exactly sure what what method they're going to use going forward. I don't think they do either. And I think that's okay. I think they're pretty fluid with the ban list at this point, And it's going to revolve around 
balancing through design, but also balancing through organized play and what we see. So yeah, great question, Lucas. I think this you could go so deep on this. And I think each person that's involved with LSS's sort of development and design is probably going to have a different input on this. You know, I look at someone like Brian Gottlieb. I'm sure he's had his fingerprints on that recently. Is that different to how other people have looked at it? So uh, I think almost certainly. If you do want to get your questions in for the Commander Cookout, you can submit those to arsenalpassfab at gmail.com. You can drop them in the YouTube comments. You can DM us, tweet at us. Uh, if you're a Patreon in the Discord, you can also pop your question in the Commander Cookout section there. Brendan. I actually have one more news headline, Hayden, that I think we might have skipped over and it has to do with a little format called Blitz. Oh, yes, go uh, for it. So there has been a uh, a banning and an unbanning. So uh, the, the irreverent members of Legendary Studios have walked back their incorrect decision to ban Stormstriders in Blitz and have actually unbanned that card. Kano is back. I don't remember... Aether Wildfire being a part of the deal, but apparently they lopped that in, so Aether Wildfire is gone, but Stormstarters are back, which Kano actually might be less powerful, period. But the deck is functional, it's fun, and it's not this kind of high-variance BS that it was without um, without Stormstarters. So I will personally be playing Kano again. I think that it's going to be an interesting, a competitive deck, not an overpowered deck, um, and I do think it's in a good spot. I would have liked to see them unban potentially things like snapback, well, snapback and stir for Kano. Again, Icelander is this weird, this weird dynamic in in Wizard that it's it's limiting the cards that can potentially come back and be used in Kano. Because I think with without Aether Wildfire, those cards are actually relatively healthy in a deck like Kano. But Icelander is a is a slippery slope. Aether Ice Vein has been suspended. I think it was uh, in Blitz for Icelander. So just keep that in mind. But Stormstriders, Icelander in Blitz could potentially be very powerful, like Red Emeritus Scoldings coming out of Arsenal. Hypothermia is banned, so Icelanders match up into aggressive decks and Blitz, particularly things like Chain, certainly has um, has taken a hit. But I still think that Icelander is probably one of the better decks in Blitz, um, and Kano is back to you know being playable. Um, it's fun, and it's sort of the wizard that we know and love, mm-hmm. Yeah, even without Aether Wildfire. I mean, so yeah, just to just to cover that, Aether Wildfire is banned, just outright banned. See you later on Blitz. Uh, Aether Ice Vein is suspended until the next ban is suspended announcement, which is January 30th, and then they'll revisit. So that's only, you know, months away. Uh, Hypothermia is suspended until Icelander becomes a living legend. I think they've seen the power of Hypothermia in Icelander, and it's a no-no until uh, until that hero is gone. And Stormstriders is now legal, as Brendan uh, said, move from suspended. The Aether Ice Vein, look, I, I think Ice Vein is still the most powerful hero in Blitz, personally. I think Aether yeah. Ice Vein is a card that, to be honest, for a part of the time, wasn't even in our list for Worlds. Yeah. Uh, we ended up going back <laughs> to the red one, but the blue and yellow were not in our list. Uh, Hypothermia is a big hit. That is the biggest hit, I think. But Stormstriders is a massive gain. So, um, yeah, yeah I, I think Icelander and... Yeah, Kano's back on the table, like you say, but I think Icelander has changed. It's going to look different, but still very powerful. And I'm interested to see what happens. So I think that is, I can't remember when the skirmish season is or if it's been announced. I feel like it's after the, I think this band, the next band season announcement happens before uh, the skirmish season. So we might see some revisiting of Icelander, I think. But um, yeah, we'll see. Brendan, let's get into the main topic of the pod and talk about dynasties impact and classic constructed and we're going to talk about blitz as well so constructed overall we're going to talk about five classes today uh we're going to get through these talk about some of the impacts some of the cards we're looking at some of the strategies we think might be relevant and um, just where we think dynasty is going to take these two formats so i want to start a little bit first and just talk about some of the 
the tokens actually and, and what we're seeing with cards because I, I think this is super interesting like we've got a, a set here and we've seen this introduced with with a, a few of the sets now where you get access to basically cards that create these effects right so um you know you have the ponder token that's coming out from the wizard side which is a really interesting mechanic we're going to talk about that when we get to wizard uh but that i just want to cover what these do in case people haven't aren't familiar haven't seen all of them uh ponder says at the beginning of your end phase destroy ponder and draw cards this is a token you've got the gold as well that's now coming above copper and silver and that's really important to obviously the uh the assassin class along with silver and then spellbane spellbane ages which i think is a card we're going to talk about quite a bit as well because i think this is quite interesting as a, as a token that gives spellwood one uh you know as a, as a wizard player brendan i can already see you sulking so I didn't want to touch on those, but I want to ask you about just kind of the the generics that we see. Uh, any thoughts on things like Imperial Warhorn and um, the the crown that does give you the status as a as a royal? Yeah. So Imperial Warhorn, honestly, no thoughts at this point. Uh, it's just like that's one of those cards that. You just, I don't really, I'm not going to worry about it and think about it too much at the very beginning of a set as the meta store starts to try to find its footing. Um, the crown, on the other hand, is very good. And I think it's almost an immediate slot into a deck like Asai. Uh, it's just so good with the blood in her hands. It, and the fact that you, you're able to get the gold effectively for free, um, you just net yourself a resource plus uh, to fill, plus you get to filter a card. And of course, that process is you pitch a blue, you pay for the gold, you get another card, and you net an, an a one resource up. So I think that, that that piece of equipment is fundamentally extremely powerful, and I think it slots into some decks uh, just directly, right? I think some decks will opt to play that as their as their headpiece almost immediately, and it will just be kind of strictly better than some of the other options that, that were available. Interesting, because it doesn't defend, right? So it's just a... It starts and play just gives you the gold token, nothing else. So I hadn't really thought about it for a deck like Asai. That's that's interesting. I guess we'll we'll see. Um, the other ones I wanted to, you know, if, you see, you've got these these Imperial Edict, Imperial Ledger, and the Imperial Warhorn, which we just talked about. Um, I agree. I think it'd be interesting to see where these kind of slot in. Is this more of a uh, thing that we see in the Emperor? Uh, we aren't going to touch too much on the Emperor. Maybe in the second pop we will. But uh, yeah, I'm interested to see like kind of what that means. Ornate Tessin is actually something that I'm super interested in. This is the the equipment offhand that's an instant one resource destroy it and put a card from your hand on the bottom of your deck and if you do draw a card like i'm interested to see if this card is going to be relevant for blitz for potentially drawing two cards that you need in a certain matchup like is this an option that people want to actually have in their deck uh, you know think about this with a second you know with a, a claw and blue, a brute for instance or a centauri saber and a warrior for instance yeah just to quickly speak on the emperor i i'm i'm actually i haven't uh, dove too deep into the emperor haven't thought too much about you know the potential interactions but you know i would actually be willing to be incorrect on this and be attacked for it just comment me on twitter but i think that the emperor is unplayable garbage like i think that card like i think it's a bad hero uh, i don't think it'll be played i don't think it'll be relevant i think that it's uh, probably more of a collector's item the ability is just fundamentally kind of meh and there's you're not really compelled to play this sort of wizard warrior uh and i don't see the emperor being played the card, the other cards that we were talking about, things like like the crown and this whole royal concept, those are cool. But uh, yeah, emperor, I just don't see it having a splash. Um, but I could be wrong, right? Like you 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 take a dual class. Uh, there's a lot of opportunity there. So yeah, my opinion. Yeah, I think you might be wrong, but <laughs> but we'll see. The emperor does have access to what now the largest card pool in in Blitz. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. 
Um, well, I guess technically not because you can only play red cards, so maybe it's not. It's mm. slightly slightly under, but yeah. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of powerful red cards in in this format. Fifteen life. Yeah, I don't know. My my initial take was I really didn't like the hero when I saw it. Reviewed it at uh, PT Lil, but as I've seen the set come out and the things that I think you might be able to do with it, it's interesting. I don't. I think it's better than Shiana, for instance, right now. I think Shiana's Shiana's none of those cards on the list where it's like at one point Shiana could be absolutely broken because of specializations. But it's getting there though. I don't know. Don't doubt Shiana. That day. You know we someone were, plays Shiana at Worlds, right? Yeah, his name is Keith. It's the guy who runs the um, the Ohio. Oh, Realm Arms. Games, Keith. Uh, Realm Games. Yeah, it's Keith. Like, <laughs> I didn't know it was Keith. That's that's fantastic. I just knew that someone <laughs> yeah. played Shiana. Anyway, we'll see. Uh, Timestamp this. Uh, do the little uh, the, the Zach Barn. Remind me in, and uh, we'll see <laughs> if Brendan is right about the Emperor. Let's get into it because uh, we've you know we've got a few classes we want to get through. Let's start with I put it at the top of the list, Brendan. We're going to talk about brute first, and uh, we're going to look at just the heroes themselves and what we think they get out of this. Let's talk Reiner. Uh, you know, obviously we've had the Rock printed or Rock, so you know there is. A lot of people looking at this as, is this a new archetype? You know, do we have mm. something that you can build around rock? And I've thought about this over the last sort of few days. What does rock look like? And I think rock as a as a weapon, it's hard, right? You you have to have an empty hand. So you have to be set up to use this card, you know, whether it be even just a, a counter on your tunic. That's kind of like base level of where you need to be to be able to play this. So, you know, you could pitch blue into something like Madcap Charger, which we'll talk about that card. That card is fantastic. And then tunic off the last resource coming with rock. I mean, that's a that's you know twelve damage for three cards. Like that's a that's a pretty good return uh, and your tunic counter. But I think rock is something that we're going to see archetypes built around. But it's really going to be setup based. I think it's going to be decks that look to do a couple of really big turns and utilize rock as their weapon. You know, I see things like I look at Chandler's list from uh, from the calling. You know, where he's playing things like smash a big tree. You know, he's just trying to trade two cards for seven and two cards for eight and and get through to his big blood rush bellows turns. Well. Maybe there's also big rock turns there you can have, and I think that's where we're going to see. You know, I think of something like Epod and play, you play out a couple of barrage and beatdowns, intimidate the whole hand, and then come in with rock. Uh, and yeah, I, I can see that being an archetype. Yeah, my question around rock would be like, is it is it a legitimate consideration for a weapon? Because there's a massive opportunity cost in losing things like claws, right? Even when you say setting up energy potions, that means all of the turns in between that you're not able to do something like play blood rush bellows and do your claws turn and things like that. So is it is it more cute or is it like a legitimate pick for a weapon? I mean, maybe in blitz it's a bit more viable, um, but yeah, the conditions that you have to meet in order to be able to swing rock, I mean, they're they're tough, right? They're it's it's not a small ask. Yeah, I think I see rock as like a, a pseudo replacement for what some of these uh, these claws decks are trying to do. Like claws, in reality, claws is only good on bloodwash bellows turns. Really, like mm-hmm. their weapon is underrated otherwise, and. And, you know, there is other ways you can utilize it with, like, the, the draw and discard effects that give go again. Madcap Charger is a really interesting card for it, I think. But even if you take Madcap Charger as an example, so I need the Charger, I need a, a, a card to discard to it, and I need the blue, and now I can come in for eight with my Claw. Well, I want to be on Club. Like, give me give me Club. You know, like, Club is, is really above rate, whereas Claw is actually below rate. So um, I think... Yeah, I think we're going to see these Rock decks look a little bit similar to what we've seen the Blood Rush Bellows decks look like. But like a bit more setup. So rather than just having only these Blood Rush Bellows turns that can push these big turns, now you have this potential with like, like I said, an E-Pot and a Tunic Counter, for instance, to be like, okay, here's four Barrage and Beatdowns that I've stacked to my deck. 
that's you know let's say it's two red and two yellow that's 14 plus seven there's 21 damage off my my four cards and my resource set up and play and you you can't block you can't do anything about it like that that's a pretty big setup turn that's going to push damage that ha- you, your opponent cannot do anything about mm-hmm. i think in in like zoomer flesh and blood anytime something uh is is prefixed by saying that you have to set up an energy potion or potentially like stack a certain certain sequence of cards it's just like I believe when I see it, right? Kano, that's one of the ones where it's like, yeah, you got to set up these epots in order to do this double lesson in lava combo turn. But Kano also like turbo draws his deck, plays epots at instant speed, like all of that ish. So, yeah, I mean, I think that if Rock is becomes a viable weapon, it can be activated consistently. Like, yeah, it's going to be really good. So somebody's just got to crack that. Yeah, I think don't worry too much about purposely. I think, yeah, I get what you're saying. Like, I agree. It's like, oh, you have to do this and this and there's all these hoops to jump through. <laughs> I will say I think the format has changed a little bit. We saw people doing this a lot more with like even like Icelander in this format, right? Like these games are going a bit a bit longer. But yeah. we're gonna talk about mech. There's there's decks that are potentially getting even more aggressive. What I would say is oh, you yeah. don't even necessarily need to set this up. It just, you know, if you potentially had you, there's nine barrage and beatdowns in a deck, right? Here's three, mm-hmm. here's my rock coming. There's also blood rush bells. Like there's I guess what my point is with rock is that it's around big turns. Some of them can be set up. Some of them can just be natural, I think. And, and that's kind of how Brute plays. Is it going to be better than something like Romping Club, for instance? I, I don't know, but I think there's an archetype there. And I think because of the how how much people have talked about Rock, I definitely want to start it. I definitely wanted to start with that weapon. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it boils down to me and you. Like, we just don't know at this point, but uh, three for seven on a weapon, it's pretty good. Just someone's got to figure out how we can activate it consistently or consistent enough that, you know, maybe there's a heuristic. It's like you activate it two to three times in a game, you just win the game. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Probably. Like, how, how many decks actually? There's a lot of decks out there right now that use their weapon for that. You know, Hanabi Blaster, for instance, how many times are you probably going to attack with that weapon in a game? Like, if the weapon is powerful enough, you know, doesn't matter. For instance, uh, I look at, like, again, go back to Chandler's uh, Brute List. He's probably only attacking with those claws only on Blood Rush Bellows turns. The rest of the time, he's just. He's presenting a card off to you know he's playing two card hands and that's uh i think that's what a rock deck could look like so if you are looking to build rock decks that's where i would start is two card decks that want to look to set up turns or have these big turns but what i'm more excited about to be honest with you is club i think romping club is back maybe mm. uh, madcap charger might be the best brute card in the set i think just just quietly really? yeah I, I think this card is very very good if you haven't seen madcap charger it is uh, at red, it is one cost, uh, attacks for five, and uh, defense for three, and says as an additional cost to Madcap, playing Madcap Charger, uh, discard a random card. If it has six or more attack, Charger gets go again. So immediately, all I think about is three three card hand, Charger blue, and uh, and your Madcap char- sorry Charger blue and the six attack with Romping Club. All of a sudden, you know there's there's a ten damage hand off three cards. Like these are the sort of things that that I'm I'm starting to look yeah. at. You know, you think about this in Guardian with with Glacial Horns, uh, Glacial Horns. Glacial footsteps, like this is something that we've seen people come back to. And I think this allows like club is such a strong weapon. And that's just a that's just a three-card hand. Like, what can you do off four or five card hands? I think uh in particular, maybe more for blitz, but beaten trackers is a really powerful piece of equipment that allows you to, you know, usually in a game of blitz, you might only need the the scabskin levers to give you that one extra action point to be able to have the turn you need to with something like club. And now you've got beaten trackers to guarantee it. You know, you come in with your your discard effect, uh, whatever it be, and then you just have club off beaten trackers. Like that's that's really powerful for an extra five damage and blitz. Class constructed, maybe not quite as relevant because you need more than one action point, but yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, beaten tracker is actually the card that I'm most well, not the card I'm most excited about because the card I'm most excited about in Brutus Berserk 
period. That card can can break the game. But beating trackers is just like immediately it's like that's super powerful. Uh, maybe my mind is still too much in Blitzland, but this card is ridiculous. And I think you've talked about it with me already in Levia. Like it, it's super good. So I'm very excited about beating trackers. I look at something like, you know, Madcap Charger into Club. I mean, that's three cards for 10. So it's kind of underrated to be honest, but you get an Intimidate Trigger on top of that if you're playing something like Reinar. Right. So something to consider. A three for 10 is above rate. I thought it was. Three counts for ten. Two. Okay, I guess I'm just I'm used to the two for eight world. That's why two for eight two is for eight. massively above right. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. Sorry, I'm I'm again I'm in Zoomer Flesh and Blood world where you two for eight off the wounded ball and then you block for three with the other cards. So you're three for eleven effectively or something like yeah. that. But yeah, I mean for brute it's really good. But uh, intimidate trigger is not nothing, right? It so definitely like, isn't. Card is, it definitely right? isn't nothing. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. Coming from coming from Hayden who got juiced by intimidate. <laughs> yeah, Hayden, you having like the flashbacks? Is like yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not nothing. But um, you're right. It's probably one of the better brute cards that we've seen printed and does. It, it, costing one, having go again. The first thing you think about is yeah, romping club. It just allows you. So I, I use the example of like the three card hand. But actually, what I'm most excited about with this card is it can do so many things like it's 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 good on the blood rush this turn it's good when you're trying to play four and five card hands like you play this out of hand you discard your six attack and then you play something like we'll talk about in a second but savage beatdown out of out of arsenal you know your your kind of finisher or you know you play your massacre out of arsenal like this is the way that you're going to be able to have both play three card hands and trade damage with something like club but also be able to push five card hands and i can see this slotting into a deck that plays claws i mean look at claws right the resource constraints are a bit tough because of, you know, the fact claws cost two for three. But, mm. you know, you can still set up claws turns with that, especially on a Blood Rush Bellows turn, which which I think is good. So, um, yeah, I, I think this card is potentially the biggest win for Brute, even though it's not the sexiest card. It's not necessarily the most powerful. I think it's going to be one of the best cards that, that Brute gets out of this, both for Livia and and for um, for Reiner. Talked a bit about Reiner. If I talk a bit about Livia with this kind of aspect, I think Livia is going to look to move away from the shadow side of her herself right now and move more to the brute side. And that's natural, right? We've seen in the set no shadow talent cards, all class talent, uh, all class cards with the, the form of uh, brute. So, you know, I think, I you know, you talked about being above Raid and Livia. Yeah, you've got David Rumble. That card is fantastic. You've got Mad Cat Charger Plus Club now. You've got, uh, you know, Wild Rides, Polplings. You've got these ways to to play really a quite efficient game plan. Plus you've got Art of War and Blood Rush Bellows and, Still, all these in-game sort of shenanigans you can do, and endless more. Like, what a freaking card! You know, like two for nine. You want to talk about above rate? Two for nine. Like that is two cards for nine. That is uh, that's very good. So, Levy is yeah. one that I'm excited about, and I think Madcap Charger in particular helps that. I think Beaten Trackers and Blitz is a really big upgrade. And if you're looking to build those decks, those are sort of from the cards I'd be looking at immediately. I just wonder what's going to happen to the Ethan Van Sant stock when Levia finally becomes a meta deck. Will Ethan still play Levia in the, in in that meta? I have a question for you, Hayden. Yeah. Um. So, what do you think about brute cards that say play this card mm. only if you have discarded a card with six or more attack this turn? So, they are, maybe they have powerful effects, Hayden. But that means sometimes these cards are literally not playable on your own turn. Are these the kind of cards you're going to be slotting in your deck? How much you have to build around these cards? What's the balance? What do you think about it? Because this is a big, this is a big sort of, uh, I don't know, what would you call it? Like a, a marquee thing of a lot of the brute cards that were printed in the set. Like a lot of them have this specific drawback, this text on it. Well, I think it's only two, right? It's Savage Beatdown and Majestic and it's, um, it's uh, what's the zero for four? Rumbling Grunting, Rumble Grunting, uh, which is the non-attack action. 
Um, yeah, I mean, it's obviously a theme in this, and we talked about the the big thing with Crucible now to the the Sin Dynasty being like different ways to play your hero. This this gives you that. But yeah, you're right. It, it's really it's something like Savage Beatdown. Having played that card over the weekend, hard to get off. You can't just I. You can just slot it into decks, and if you play it, you play it, and I think that's fine. And I, like I, I definitely did some work with this card in, in one of my matches where I like played Bloodrush Bellow into this off Goliath Gone with like sixteen off like a you know a three card hand or whatever. Um, but I think if you really want to get the most out of a card like Savage Beatdown or Rumble Grunting, it's probably going to be more of a build around thing. It's going to be really high six attack decks. It's going to be you're going to be playing Pulpings and Wild Rides and Madcap Charges in your deck to make this sort of thing work. But that archetype is now there. That archetype wasn't really there before. Wild Ride and Popping were options to allow you to go wide and push damage and interact with things like Prism and stuff like that. And now you have a potential mm. fully fleshed out archetype that's there available to you. And think, I think Romping Club, for instance, is another another reason you want to, or another part of what will go into this kind of build. So um, my kind of, I just uh, wanted to... Go ahead. I just yeah, want I to say... Because you, we talked about, you said there was only those two cards. I was kind of lumping in Madcap Muscle as well. And I just wanted to get your thoughts on that card as well, since it didn't technically have that drawback, but you know, the card is like super underrated. If you don't sort of hit that, you've already discarded a six. Yeah. So Madcap Muscle was an additional cost to discard a random card. And if that card is six or more, so it's at red, it's three cards for seven, which is, you're right. Sorry. Three cards for nine. Sorry. Which is, which is really good. It's right. Right. That's right. But it's like, you can intimidate trigger, but you have to have the three cards and in the, the format that we talk about right now where we are, Madcap Muscle is probably the least exciting card to me in this format. Mm. Blue, actually blue is interesting because you can get you can get a, a three for seven, which, you know, in the right circumstances might be might be enough. That might be okay. But Madcap Muscle, that's probably the card. That and, and at the moment, like Blessing of Savagery are cards I'm not particularly looking at. Um, I'm more interested in things like, you know, what, what can you do with Savage Beatdown, for instance? I'm more interested in that. Mm-hmm. What is your thoughts on just quickly, uh, like Skullcrack and the ability to potentially get a get a resource off of it? You think yeah. that's powerful? Yeah, Skullcrack's interesting to me. I think that card is when I saw it, people were saying like, you know, this is one of the best cards Brute's gotten in a long time. Rah, rah, rah. I was like, yep, card card's fine. You know, it's, it's not a card I want to play ever. Like really, like if I'm playing two card hands and I'm playing this coming for six, like that's not where I want to be. I'd rather block out and attack my club right off one card for four. Um, the discard effect, yeah, it's relevant, but is it more relevant than something than, say, Massacre? Mm, I don't think it is. So, I don't know. The the one resource could be super important for setting up specific sequences, you know, where it's like, we're one, currently Brood is one resource short of doing something. So, I'll give you an example. Uh, when Skullcrack, because it says it's randomly discarded, it's not to pay a cost or whatever you get a resource. Let's say you pitch a blue, you wild ride, and you discard Skullcrack. Well, now all of a sudden, I can two card uh, 10 because I can pitch my blue. Uh, I can have my wild ride and I get my replacement card off wild ride still. I discard my skull crack and I come in with my club afterwards. Two card 11 even. Like that's super powerful, <clears> right? <throat> two cards for 11. Like that's, don't, you want to talk about Wounded Bull. Don't worry about that. You've just done two cards for 11. That's huge. But you can't guarantee that. You can't guarantee, first of all, you're going to hit skull crack even if it's already in your hand because you could discard the other card. Um, so it is, it is hard, I think, to say that skull crack, it's hard to be consistent with it. And, when you can't be consistent and reliably do something in Flesh and Blood, that reduces the power level quite a bit because you've taken away your ability to do that round after round after round and, and have these uh, consistent play patterns. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, the... Sorry, I was a bit... I was kind of having an internal thought about Mad Cat Muscle, and yeah, you're right. Like, it is It is not... It is definitely uh, at rate or and kind of 
I don't know. Just a bit of an underwhelming card. Let's just end with Berserk then, Hayden. Is Berserk... Uh, so, <laughs> says draw a card if you're in draw a card, multiple cards potentially mm-hmm. in a single turn, which is sort of a recipe to potentially break the game, maybe draw your entire deck. Someone can figure out a way to do that. Um, do What do you think about Berserk? Is it broken? Is it the most powerful card ever printed? Or is it uh, just... I don't know. Where where does it sit for you right now? Oh, it's either trash or it's amazing, right? Like it's not yeah. one of those cards that you're like, ah, oh, it's so so. Like I, I played with it over the weekend in a couple of different builds and it was it was fine. I did I did a pretty ridiculous turn with it, which involved a double blood rush bellows, so the turn was already gonna be ridiculous, but I drew I drew like five or six cards or something and was able to continually to cycle like cards like pulping and wild ride and I think I presented like well over thirty five damage or something. So like there is a ceiling to that card. Uh, I think if someone can break it and find the way to set up these turns with it, yeah, this card could be nuts. What does that look like? I'm not sure. Like the constraints are, you have to have a certain amount of six attacks. You have to have a certain way to cycle through the cards that you draw. You have to be able to play them. So you know the initial thing you go to is Madcap Charges, Wild Rides, Beast Within, all this sort of stuff. But you have to have other cards in your deck, and those are going to get in the way on first cycle. So you all of a sudden go, "Wow, it's a second cycle card." Now that sort of like ceiling is coming down and down and down. I, I don't know. Like it's one of those cards that could potentially end up being just crazy. But on the surface of it right now and having played a few games of the card seems like it's 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 not what, you know, the, the floor is low. Let's say that as well. Guess so. Hopefully someone is able to figure out a way to break that card yep. and break it. Well, maybe not hopefully, because I assume if that card was was very good, it would probably be one of the most oppressive things in Flesh and Blood ever. <laughs> it's a pretty ridiculous combo if you can get that going or something. The last thing I just want to talk about is I think Reincarnate is a, is a good upgrade for a yellow six attack, in particular in Blitz, where, you know, a fatigue could be a thing. And um, yeah, Livia, I think if you were looking at how you want to play Livia right now, I think Livia is very strong. I think in Blitz. Beaten Tracker, Madcap Charger, Club builds look really interesting in CC. I think more traditional Brute builds also look really interesting. So um, that's where I would start. Why don't we talk about Warrior, Brendan? Uh, because, you know, Warrior definitely got got some cards. And um, the first <laughs> one I want to start with is just like, let's just talk about the weapons. Because Warrior got a ton of weapons. So it got the the um, Jubile Spellbane, which is the Majestic Weapon, the uh, Sword. That creates a spellbound, uh, spell spellbane aegis. Sorry, if it hits, you've got the merciless battle axe, which is the most interesting one and probably the one that's going to see the least amount of play. Uh, this is a three cost axe that, if it has double its base power, then it has the overpower uh, text. And then you've got these quicksilver daggers, which I think are the most interesting. These uh, single handed, one handed uh, dagger weapons that say, if another weapon you have, you control this turn as gain, go again. The dagger also gets go again. Uh, so you know, think with Dory's ability, uh, you could. Attack with the first dagger, give it go again, and uh, your second dagger has go again, and you could attack with the first one again, you know, if they all hit, things like that. So Quicksilver Dagger, very interesting, I think. So if Jubile Spellblade is good enough Spellbane. to just automatically... Spellbane. Is good enough to just automatically be slotted against a Runeblade matchup, then, yeah, this this is going to be a terror for things like Kano. Um, I could see a scenario where... You just don't play this card because the defensive value that it gives you is not good enough against Runeblade, and there's not enough uh, sort of wizards running around. And maybe that incremental damage, that incremental spell void token is not even good enough against something like Icelander. That's sort of, I guess, kind of wait and see on that one. Merciless Battleaxe, I do agree with you that I don't see it quite yet <laughs> this this overpower mechanic it's just a little bit too cute there is of course the the big buff that you can get in a card we'll talk about later on this battle axe but 
yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see on that one. It, it, it's a, at least it's a new archetype. It's an interesting way to play. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm with you on the, the daggers being the most interesting. Spellbane is um, is really interesting to me because the opportunity cost is giving up Dawnblade effectively. And yeah, which is a huge which is, opportunity cost. It is, it is, because the counters. But let's just l- talk about what Spellbane could do for you. So let's say that you do get to attack with it. So you come in, you're playing against a Runeblade, for instance. You attack in, uh, they don't defend, or you, know, or you push through the damage. You've now gotten four out of your weapon attack. Mm-hmm. You can attack with it again. Let's say it has go again. Next time, you're still getting four out of it. So over one turn cycle... Getting eight off your weapon attack is actually more than what Dawnblade would do because it would it would get six, for instance, right? The counter doesn't come till the end of the turn. You don't see that plus one until next turn. But if you get to keep Dawnblade counters consistently over multiple turns, obviously that's going to stack up and be worth more. But the the spe- the Spellbane Aegis. Oh, you're right. It's only if you don't control Spellbane yeah. Aegis. So it's only once. Yeah, I saw Brennan's face yeah, and I was yeah. like, ah, that's not how it works. Yeah. So okay, so you can get seven value out of the the, the Spellbane. That's still more than the Dawnblade on the first turn, but obviously after the sec- after consecutive turns, not the case. So, yeah, it's interesting. I think it's something that we we could see. What I'm actually most excited to see is Dorinthias or Warriors or any hero now with all these weapons show up with, like, multiple weapons in the deck. Multiple, yeah. We've seen it with Brute before, right? And we've seen it with Guardians. You know, you've seen it with, like, Claws and Club. You've seen it with um, Sledge of Anvilheim plus uh, Winter's Whale or Anathos or whatever. Like, we now might actually see this with Warrior, for instance, and, and that's exciting to see maybe, okay, Dawnblade in this matchup, but Spellbane in this matchup. It's just going to really depend on actually how impactful Spellbane is. Yeah, I know some Dorinthias used to play Axes back when Prism was a thing because that, that matchup was abysmal. So with the with this sort of, this Jubil, you, you can't really attack, even if it, you give a go again, you can't attack with it unless you like uh, 20 blade it, right? Because it's one, once per turn action. You're right. You know what? I completely missed this. Yeah, I just assumed no, it, they had the same text as Dawnblade. Yeah, yeah, it's just like the it's like the the same drawback. I mean, you. Oh no, but Dor- right. Dory ability overrides that. The Dorinthia ability overrides that. Yep, yep, yep. So yep. you can so, still yeah. yeah. Dawnblade. Yeah, Dawnblade has the same. I'm just looking at Dawnblade has the same the same text. The once per turn, but if you hit with um, if you hit hit because of Dorinthia's ability, you're gonna get Durant, the yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Sorry, we're 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 circling back to our the warrior all, our warrior knowledge of uh, three years ago at this point. Um, this is so but, many cards in the set. Still, definitely trying to get head around. Uh, if you, I ask the question, is like okay, it, I would I would think if you're playing against Runeblade, if you're playing against something like Briar or even Viscerai, this is basically a one resource for four, right? Pretty much all the time, um, because I think that spell void token will just hit a rune chant every single time. So. Is that good enough? Because that is above rate. Mm-hmm. Is that good enough? Or does Dorinthia win the game by getting counters on her sword, right? Um, or if can you just one for four consistently and you'll just get more value on your opponent and you'll beat Runeblades? If that's the case, I think this is going in pretty much every Dorinthia deck. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, I think what, where you'd see it be relevant is you start to see effects that say, like, if you've dealt arcane damage, you know, like consuming volition, or like that's where I think maybe this becomes more relevant is when it's doing extra duty on those things, or, you know, it's like spell void against, um, you know, against something like Kano or whatever, like that's super relevant, right? Like against a wildfire turn or something. So, yeah, I don't want to dwell on it too much. I think it's going to be interesting to see what pe- where people go. The thing that interests me is how people use weapons uh battle i think we can cover pretty quickly i think this weapon is just utter garbage i i really don't understand why they printed like you just look at the rate of it it's like it's three for three you pay three resources to come in for three it's below rate and then it can gain effective dominate if it has double the attack like that 
that's not great. So I expected to see some like above rate attack actions or attack reactions, you know, like the attack, sorry, non-attack actions or attack reactions. But like you've got this, um, what's it called? Fell, uh, felling yeah, swing. But Hayden, what if I felling swing? What if I two card plus six? Two it? cards for six though. That's still, still the same problem I have. So <laughs> Yeah, uh, we can go back on. to 2019 with that math. Yeah, okay, we, let's talk. We can't. We can talk about Warriors without talking about my favorite. No, my no, favorite we've got to talk about daggers which, first. Quickly, we've got to quickly talk about daggers first because someone pointed uh, this out to me: is that Centauri Saber plus this is Fluke and Box actually? Centauri uh, Saber plus Quicksilver Dagger is the way to go because you come in with mm-hmm. your Centauri Saber, you give it go again, and then that gives you Dagger go again. So then you can attack with the Centauri Saber a second time if it hits. Don't play double dagger. You play a different. You know, you play your. Your, your saber or whatever yeah does double dagger ever make sense no i, I maybe but yeah uh, twinning blades and stuff like that or blood on her hands and kasai maybe yeah all right bolton <laughs> go on then. so bolton got a legendary card spirit of uh arena i think it is or irena uh yeah if it would be put in your soul instead of put it in the arena let's you play lumina ascension as if the, as of is if it were an instant. So I cannot, someone I promise gave me like a 10 minute spiel on why this is good in Bolton and what, what it lets you do by playing Lumina instant speed. I've totally forgot it, but we're seeing Bolton get some love. <laughs> I have, I have. we see Bolton, we, we see Bolton get some love, um, which I think is good. I think that Bolton is, it's one of those classes that, or one of those heroes who just really hasn't scaled well into modern day flesh and blood because of its sort of the way it generates resources is, kind of fundamentally card disadvantage so even though i talk a lot of ish about bolton uh, i'm pretty happy to see uh it get some special treatment in in um in dynasty here with a legendary that slots right into what it tries to do in most games which is play luminous engine yeah well let me fix uh, your issue that you have here is that the problem is that via the vanguard plus luminous engine is not a That's thing you it. can do <laughs> But, oh, that's not it. But the, no, but now you can because of this, right? Because okay, the problem yeah, is, yeah. is that like uh, Luminous Ascension breaks the combat chain, which then makes the V the Vanguard ability no longer relevant for the chain. So now, with uh, if you have Spirit Arena out on the field, you can V the Vanguard, and then you can play your Luminous Ascension instant speed and still have the buff of both. And you know, particularly I think for both weapon versions, both Raiden versions and uh, Saber versions, that's really interesting. I think for just you know value and actually having these big strong turns and not just having one big combo turn. Uh, super interesting. This is a legendary though. There's one of it in there. It's also still card disadvantage to play this card because it doesn't even give you a card and soul. So you charge this card, it gets it on the field, but it doesn't actually give you a card and soul. You've lost the card and soul. So my question to you, Brennan, is like, yes, this maybe helps you have like good V plus Lumina turns, but is this enough to even like shift the needle on Bolton at all? Mm, if there's one thing I know that Boltons don't care about, Bolton players don't care about, it's consistency. So the more high winning. roll, the better. And spirit, yeah, I mean, that that's part of it too. <laughs> Josh Loud probably beg to differ. Yeah, sorry, team. <laughs> Consistently overperforms with that with that hero. But um, I mean, it's cool. It's cute. I think that the Lumina Ascension combo is just fundamentally cool and cute. I don't think it's actually very good. I don't think it's consistent enough. And um, yeah, I've died to it in major tournaments. So, oh, it's, yeah. if you get to do double or triple Lumina on like the first four times, it's really, really good. Don't. Yeah, don't it's good. It's super powerful. But what happens when you don't when you don't do that? It's like it's yeah, not the, so good. the rest of the deck maybe. Anyway, uh, yeah, I don't think it's enough to move the needle on Bolton, but that that is interesting. Uh, I think we've got to talk about Iron Song Pride because this is yep. Not only is it a powerful card, it's a super interesting card. It's the first instant. I think we've seen for Warrior, right? It's a Warrior Instant Aura, cost one, and it says put a plus one counter on target. Um, target Sword. Target control. Sword. Sorry, I've got the, the extended mm. art version. It's really hard to read the text on it. Uh, and then when Iron Song Pride leaves the arena, remove all counters from, uh, from 
towards your control and at the beginning of your instep if you haven't dealt damage then the pride goes away so it has the same basic texas dawn blend in terms of if you you know if you don't deal damage you know if it doesn't hit then you're losing um you're losing the counters anyway so but this card i didn't realize this card was a friggin' instant like this card yeah. represents value going second you, know, you just pop this down counter on my dawn blade immediately coming on the first turn with a counter on it ready to go i'm already starting to push the, the you know the counter build up uh, you can play this as an, a reaction, you know, so you can actually put the counter on as a reaction to like lunging press style pushover damage, but that, that damage, that counter stays. Um, th this card is super interesting to me. When I first looked at it, I was like, ah, fine. But like the, the versatility of this card is actually the power <laughs> of it, I think. When I first, so I, I actually had the opposite reaction and I, I wonder if I'm just a little bit overzealous with it. And I think that I was like, when I first saw this card, I was like, ugh, because this card just feels very snowball-y. Um, oh, it is. It, <laughs> yeah, if you ever get to a point where you're so like, let's say your opponent blocks with you know a lot of their hand and their armor, and they get blown out by some card, whether it's like a red overpower or you get twinning bladed, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, and you're able to actually continue the turn, keep the iron song pride around, and now they've lost their armor, they go into a four card hand, and then they sort of get blown out by some sort of attack reaction on the following turn. There's like there's no way you're coming back from the third iron song pride turn with that staying on the battlefield. So I think this might actually lead to like some some kind of annoying scenarios uh I, I think that it's actually just a, a fantastic card for warrior right like i would be absolutely putting this in my in my dorinthia deck because the downside here at the beginning of your end phase if a sword has not hit this turn destroy ironsong pride and you have to remove the counters right but dawnblade is already doing that and the games where dawnblade has you know three four counters you're already so far ahead and i think that it's much more normal for your Dawnblade to have one counter on this turn, then the opponent like kind of blocks it out, and then you maybe get a counter you know, a couple turns later in the game, and that's sort of how it cycles over. I think the Iron Song Pride is 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 very, very powerful, and I'd, I'm interested to sort of hear your thoughts on that and the potential snowball effect of this card. Yeah, that's what it has. It has a massive snowball effect. That's literally, literally what it is. Um, and it's... You know, think about like in terms of you you commit your equipment to try and stop this, which I think is the correct play. You see this come down turn one. Your opponent plays like a guess a glistening steel blade. It's like, all right, I'm full steam on committing to just defending this out, getting rid of this iron song pride, and and getting rid of these counters and trying to reset my my opponent. That's going to include probably using a lot of your equipment and probably the whole of your hand. Suddenly you get blown out by a twinning blade, like like you say, the snowball is going to be there. Um, yeah, I think the card's very good. I actually want to ask what you think about this PS mechanic, because we've, we've seen this on a couple of cards. Visit the Imperial Forge is an interesting card. We've seen it on Precision Press, uh, Puncture. This idea of piercing effectively, so piercing one is what we're seeing, which is, well, some of piercing three as well, uh, depending on what, what color the card is. But it, it gives you this ability that if it's defended by an equipment, it has plus X, depending on what the piercing number is. Like, what do you think of this card? Is this something that helps you potentially push through these blowout turns? So I think it's interesting because... Uh, with Dorinthia specifically, a lot of the the defensive play patterns around Dorinthia, when you're trying to dodge like specific attack reactions or take off counters, and you don't have a bunch of defense reactions in your deck, you will opt to oftentimes put your armor in front of the weapon to turn off the attack reactions and the reprise effects. Um, and this 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 effectively prevents you from doing that. That being said. Like the the Pierce mechanic is at a premium here. Like you look at something like Precision Press versus uh, Sharpened Steel. Precision Press cost one. Um, where or sorry, Precision sure. yeah Precision I'm Press. Sure. You mean yeah, right? cost? Uh, no, I'm talking about Precision Press. The gives your thing plus. Uh, 
Sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. Sure. <laughs> compare it, compare it to plus, something that gives go again. Yeah, I think is interesting. The, the, thing, the yeah. plus, the yeah, the plus three. That's what I meant. Puncture. Yeah. Um, so you're paying a, a whole additional resource, which you know the difference between zero and one is massively different from the you know something costing one or two, and it's a it's a premium effect. You're paying a lot for it, so it has to be extremely relevant. Um, I don't know if it's going to be worth it, but um, if there are effects that you want, right? And they just happen to have piercing on them, like potentially the go again, then I think those cards will make the deck, right? Yeah, blue precision press is really interesting, I think. But I actually, I've got a, I think, a better example for puncture. So uh, let's take um, Alpha Blood. So that's an attack reaction at red, plus three for one, and uh, potentially gives plus one to your next attack. Puncture can potentially give plus four for one on this attack. It's an attack reaction. Uh, is is our puncture. This card's really interesting, I think. One cost for plus three, but if there's an equipment on that chain, it's going to be for plus four. This can allow you to break the kind of... So the card that people will play around mostly when they're playing against Dawnblade is something like... Um, uh, what's the, the the super that goes and searches a card? Oh, oh that's... Uh, uh, sp- sp- <laughs> Spell uh singing steel blade. Singing steel right. blade, thank you. Singing steel blade, which is a card that people often play around. You know, okay, I got to play around the iron song of singing steel blade, so I got to play around the one for four. Mm. Well, now puncture offers another one for four. Uh, you know, and people are going to be blocking with equipment to stop these turns. So red puncture on five card hands, I think, is like a a really interesting card when people are trying to stop things like iron song pride. They're trying to stop glistening steel blade. Um, so I I think the piercing mechanic actually, the return rate on it actually looks pretty good and better than I thought. Yeah, it's pretty good. So even like yeah. Pu- Puncture being an attack reaction too. So really like good. the the sharpened steel example doesn't actually hold up because this is an attack reaction. So it's Didn't want to say I think anything. it's actually just yeah, it's fine. It's I think I just kind of misread the card there. It's like I think this is absolutely some uh, something you're gonna be playing in for the for the reasons you're talking about right there. Yeah, the last one on that uh, piercing, I would just visit the Imperial Forge. I think at blue, this is an interesting card. So it gives uh daggers and swords attacking this turn, piercing one. I can see that being quite relevant on a you know, a big blood on a hand's turn or even potentially, you know, uh, in a, a Bolton mm-hmm. or something, you know, like it to, just negates the equipment effectively uh, or close to, depending on what the equipment's blocking for. Yeah, it's 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 really good in Bolton, right? If you're able to set it up correctly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it is an action, so you do have to play it on the turn, so it costs a card, etc. So it might not be relevant, but that that one is interesting to me. So yeah, so uh, just overall, I think if I'm looking at Warrior right now and Blitz and CC, whether it's Kasai, Bolton, Dory, whatever it is, I think Dory with the the new tools that that she has is super interesting. Um, I don't know about Quicksilver. I haven't really looked about Quicksilver and Blitz, but I think traditional just Dorinthia and in Blitz with Pride, with these new weapons that you have. Uh, we're going to be playing a list uh, in a video in the coming weeks, uh, which I'm going to be I'm going to be playing Dagger plus Centauri Saber, uh, Brendan. So uh, I think there's a lot of things you can do with this. Kasai has also got some options here as well. Getting the fluking box tech for the video. Exactly, exactly. Let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk about Mechanologist. Uh, I think this might be. Um, Mechanologist might be the, the, the class, as you said, at the top of the show that's had the most upgrades in this set. Um, let's start with, like, Hanabi Blaster, because this is a weapon that I was like, ah, this weapon seems fine. And now that I've seen it in action, I'm like, yeah, okay, this, this weapon's pretty good. Yeah, it, it, I, I do think it's really good. Uh, I mean, specifically in the boost dash deck, right? Like, just coming in for five. Um, I don't know. Is there anything else to really say about it? You're not going to be activating it potentially every single turn, but the turns that you do activate it will get you so much advantage that in a in a deck that goes as fast as Boosh Dash does, um, even in a, even in a format like Class Constructed, it's devastating for your opponent. Yeah, let's talk about why this card's so good. Because at first I was like, well, okay, so I can attack with this every third turn. Yeah, it's free, but it's every third turn. Let's go back to the rock thing we talked about before. 
you don't have to attack with your weapon every turn to get good value out of your weapon. You know, you're playing other cards. You the, the the meta we're in right now is a lot about trading value, right? And often that doesn't require your weapon to be used. It's hard to use your weapon. You know, Rosetta Thorn is like the contradicts that a little bit. But you know, we're moving mm-hmm. out of a, a meta that's revolving around uh, revolving around Rosetta Thorn and Arby Blaster. So a good thing to note about this is that also you don't have to boost with that third card because it says just play a card with boost. So the, the, you could mm-hmm. go, okay, play an attack boost, play an attack boost, and then just play your like throttle for six and not boost it. You don't have to boost the third one. So you're not losing value on that card that you're banishing. Uh, and then it's free. Like every, every, and also you can play this every second turn actually as well, because you can, you stack up steam counters uh, the third time you play a card with boost each turn. So, okay, on the first turn of the game, I boost three times or I play three boost cards, get a counter. Next next turn, I do boost three times, activating boost each time and then attack with an Harvey Blaster because I've now got the two counters. And then the next turn, so it's actually every second turn, not every third turn, and it's free. Like yeah, this card is it's a, free. This yeah, card is free. This, that, card is, is, this card is busted, dude. Like I mean, it's free. That's 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 not something that happens a lot in Flesh and Blood. And if you're playing the Boost Dash deck, you're building up these counters just sort of inherently by playing out your normal game plan. And this is a free five damage that can come in after you boost potentially the third attack on the turn that you have the two steam counters. Yeah super 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 powerful actually kind of ridiculous as we start to deconstruct it and as as i'm sure you've now seen in person when you played your events yeah and we also saw this uh i believe on the coverage for the battle hard in philadelphia i think the the winning list i'm I'm not actually sure if they they were on a more of a traditional hybrid list but um you know i know there's a lot of lists there playing this hanabi blaster so yeah really interesting um i think if we we can talk about cards and stuff i i also want to talk about just like archetypes in general but like Nitro Mechanoid or, you know, Construct Nitro Mechanoid, like, this card is, yeah, it takes a lot to set up, but this card's really powerful. Like, this is, it's worth noting, this attack is not a once per turn effect. <clears throat> you can high octane and, like, combo this. You can attack for, like, 25. You can use all the counters off the Nitro Mechanoid in one turn uh, with with high octane and just come in. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't cost to attack. It's not a once per turn. Just, you have to remove the, the counter. So if you have the action points, you can just do this over and over again. Yeah, it's freaking nuts. So the question is, is like how 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 challenging is it to set up with the three hyper drivers specifically? Um, and if you can satisfy that clause and it sort of fits into your normal game plan, if you're almost inherently going to be having the resources to set this up, yeah, you set up the high octane turn and this is absolutely freaking ridiculous. <laughs> like, uh, I, I think that we're going to u- be using adjectives like that a lot when we're talking about mech because some of these cards are crazy. I, we can, I just want to quickly... Uh, we, you can talk more about Construct Nitro Mechanoid, but BIOS update as well. We talked about this in, um, maybe it was the Patreon pod, but yeah. this card gives plus three at zero, and then this effect is so non-zero. This effect is so freaking good. The next time a Mechanologist item with cost two or less is banished to pay a boost cost this turn, put into the f- arena? Are you kidding me? Oh, dude. I just, I, I, you, gotta, you gotta give me a reason to not play boost dash in this meta. Yeah, so I'll give you some if you want. <laughs> yeah. Fatigue is still a thing, right? You're still, yes, this boost dash now looks like it's super above rate on like almost any metric you look at, but you are using your deck as a resource. So you do have to kill your opponent before you run out of deck. That is your number one primary resource. And that is that is important to remember. What I think it's around that though is, by the way, BIOS update, like you say, crazy good. Yeah. You, you boost three times in a turn after you play a BIOS update. It's like, it's not the first attack you boost, it's all of them until you hit the item. So Boost three times, you have 10 items in your deck. You're really, you know, you're really good to, to hit an item there, whether it's a, 
you know, it's a two cost item like a um, an induction chamber, or it's more of these aggressive items like a a, a, a pounder or um, a hyperdriver or a Teclo uh, core. Like all of these are going to be really good. Like imagine if you just had a Teclo core. Okay, I just played this nimbleism that got me two resources over the next two turns. <laughs> like that is super above rate. So, but the way you get around this, I guess, fatigue potential is one Hanabi blaster, like big Hanabi blaster turns. You know, every you know you set up in between turn, and then every second turn is just like you just slap them with five card hands. That's that's one way. Mechanoid that a big high octane yeah. mechanoid turn is how you like push. 50 damage on one turn like honestly i think i heard someone on stream had done like 44 damage or presented 44 damage off a nitro mechanoid high octane turn like that can happen so um i don't know my question to you actually we can talk about pulse wave harpoon you can talk about how you set up these uh these hyper drivers if you're looking at how to set up hyper drivers i honestly think it's it's things like bios update it's uh things like uh blessing of ingenuity that gets them back after you've boosted through them all the blues are really good the reds are really good do you need to play the yellows not sure we can talk about that but brendan question for you right is like is mech too good yeah i'm actually wondering that like I, I genuinely think that the answer is probably yes like the thing is i just i don't see a mid-range i think that this mech deck specifically the the aggressive boost mech deck would dumpster any mid-range deck specifically too because cards like pulse Life harpoon it's it's disruptive as well we're talking about this probably has the best math when it comes to just raw attack and the fact that you're just able to get go again in this like pseudo free way by boosting cards off the top of your deck but you add disruption to that as well so powerful and then you add these these sort of like combo cards like construct nitro mechanoid with uh <laughs> with the high octane it's it's freaking wild. Um, so if I can, if I'm destroying every single mid range deck in the format, and I'm also the fastest aggro deck, I got 15 cards that I can put to just tech against fatigue, and that seems very reasonable to me. So yeah, it, it looks like to me. I see this. I say that's the deck I'm gonna start playing. That looks like the best deck. Is there something that potentially hoses it? Maybe, but I don't know what it is yet, and it's it's gonna have to be pretty freaking powerful. Uh, whether it's a very good fatigue deck or something that is able to sort of, I don't know, tax it. Cause I don't see anything racing this. This is Azalea. so fast. Yeah. Yeah. It was fucking Azalea. <laughs> hey, you joke, but we're going to talk about Ranger in a minute, but uh, I, yeah, I, I think the, that's what it's going to be. Traditionally boost dash has struggled against these decks that can, you know, block out well, but also put, so if you would say, okay, I want to, I want to go to like an anti-fatigue strategy. It's, it's nitro mechanoid, or maybe I'm going to like an item strategy with, a plasma pistol mm -hmm. maybe that's my strategy well decks that can present on hit effects are ways to disrupt that right like that is that is what you'd say so guardians potentially rangers that's gonna be the one that could be tough um is it enough we'll we'll see it does look really powerful um i'm excited to, to get into but even kind of like jumpstart right like it's like oh it's yeah a, it's a two for five. Oh, oh but God. actually i have a hyperdrive now i'm playing one for fives like that had or a zero on it. yeah that's a one for five with go again that's really above right yeah, one for five with go again. I mean that. I mean, those are literally zipper hits now, and so good. Um, yeah, uh, hyperdriver two getting you the resources like that. It's really good in the boost mech, the boost mech deck, and it's then you have pitch. now this. Yeah, this additional. Yeah, you have this additional equity of building a nitro mechanoid. Like, holy crap! Yeah, you can play five card uh, hands like and not pitch. Like you have two hyperdrivers out, or you have a hyperdriver and tickle core. Just don't pitch, right? You just yeah come with zero sixty, come in with your your jump start, come in with yeah. your. BIOS update, blaster, instant like, speed, playing all my freaking items for free. Like, okay, if you're listening to this on YouTube, or even if you're listening on a podcast, tell us in the YouTube comments why me why Mech sucks. Because I would love to hear it. Because it looks 
so good. I was not surprised to see as many people playing it as as we did on the uh, at the Battle Harden. I mean, specifically, we haven't even we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of the pod. We haven't really de- delved into it yet. But Pulse Wave Harpoon is fundamentally a ridiculous card, and that just slots right into this mech deck. Um, it's yeah. so disruptive. Ugh. That's yeah. how you stop your opponent's disruption. Like we just talked about, well, you know, worried about guardians and rangers. Well, hold up. Now your freaking red in the ledger is now blocking on the combat chain and you're not playing an extern or your, you know, your spinal crush or whatever. So, um, or your, your blue, that's going to be so yeah. tilting. Your mm-hmm. blue, that, that's what this thing is going to snag most of the time is the freaking single blue in the hand. Yeah. So enjoy, enjoy, especially when they're trying to play something out of Arsenal. Um, just want to say data doll probably more relevant in blitz than it ever has been with all these items bios update and things like that. It's crazy you can probably assemble some pretty nutty item uh boards on turn two or turn three just just uh don't die and you can't really defend but uh <laughs> yeah interesting to see what what comes of it uh let's let's talk about ranger brennan because i think very interesting uh um, we talked about overrate let's go ahead and let's jump into underrate here we go <laughs> Let's let's Just start with like fans. Yeah. yeah. Let's start with like the, the big one. Sand scale, great bow, and this whole new mechanic of aim counters. What's your kind of uh, first thoughts on this, and like how how good is this, and is it who's it for? My my first take is it's for Azalea, and it's pretty good. Mm. Uh, I think it's for Azalea, and I do wonder if it's better than like if it actually is a hundred percent better than something like Death Dealer. The aim mecha- like the a lot of these cards in Dynasty require require aim counters to sort of realize their potential um and i might just be asking a little bit too much uh i'm not sure yet sandscout grape grapo i think it looks good it looks like it has potential but i do think that it could potentially be eclipsed by another weapon and i I see it as i I agree with you i see it as a zelia weapon i don't think that lexi's actually going to be using this (laughs) man i could really eat those words (laughs) yeah i think you're right i mean i I could see a world where maybe that's not true but my my, i've thought about this i've sat down yesterday and i've been building this azalea deck for for blitz as well and I think Sandscale, Great Bow, and basically all the cards in the set are super tied to aim counters, right? Like even the really powerful ones, like Dead Eye, that card, that card's scary. You know, Dead Eye, which is this uh, majestic at yellow that costs one that says your next arrow this turn has plus three. And if, uh, if that arrow has an aim counter, it gains when this hits a hero, look at their hand and choose a card they discard it. All of a sudden, you know, you've azalea something or, you know, well, I guess you can't like the aim counter but you know you've got the aim counter you come in and all of a sudden you hit connect this you take a card from the hand like that that's really big so i think the disconnect for me is going to be there we go we can see brendan now if you're uh, watching on youtube he was in the dark for a while um <laughs> sorry yeah. i didn't realize that it had gotten dark and i had to yell at uh yell at um siri or whatever the house <laughs> um so yeah these but they're so tired like my kind of my takeaway so far from looking at azalea and looking at Sandscale, great bow and what the potential is first of all feels like go tall is the correct way to play this to me mm-hmm. but secondly the azalea ability really powerful for giving dominate but you lose your aim counter from you can't have the aim counter from Sandscale and the azalea ability which is which is tough so i think you've got to find a way to to work out what that looks like and that's gonna be the toughest thing about building this but aim counters and these cards with an aim counter these cards become above rate but let's not forget that you're paying one for the Sandscale great bow and really, you're not getting up on value unless it's a card from the top of your deck that you take. If it's actually a card from your hand that you end up putting in with the with the great bow, because you to great bow says, you know, look at the top card of your deck. You may put an arrow from your hand or the top of your deck face up to your arsenal. If it's from your hand, you've now paid one resource to put a card from your hand into play uh, into your arsenal. So you, if it's top of the deck, much much better. Um, yeah, 
I think it's just a bit interesting. But there's crazy things you can do. Like, okay, I take the top card of my deck, paying one. It's now in my arsenal. Now has daily ability after like an opt or something. And there is there is cards, of course, that opt in, in previous sets. So I think what you're going to see is taking a mix of these these new cards uh, because with encounters they can be above, like even long shot, right? Like it's a zero for five at red. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think Zalia with great great bow and the cards we've got here is probably going to take a while to get to the best lists. But I think there's some people out there, some Ranger aficionados, some you know, I look at the Azalea player who top eighted Poland Nats. Like, there's some good Ranger players out there, and I think they'll be able to be able to crack it. What do you think about Heatseeker? Heatseeker. This is the one for five uh, yeah. at the beginning of your end phase. Put the top card of your well, if it's hit, put the top card of your deck into your yeah. arsenal. Yeah, I mean it's it's like kind of like snatch like, right? In in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um it goes face up into your arsenal. So with Azalea, obviously you can put that card away if it's not a, an arrow or it's not something you want. But even like let's just say you hit this into like a non-attack action. Like that that's huge. You've you know, you've yeah. played your arrow one for five, maybe you're to great bow into play or whatever it's hit, and now you get a plus three, say it's like a I don't know, a red um take aim or something. Like that that's really good. I think this is the best ranger card in the set um and i wonder I, i'm pretty sure that lexi plays this card as well right yeah potentially i guess lexi can be a bit more punished by this card um than say something like azalea can where azalea can obviously hero ability it away uh but yeah heat seeker is the standard like all the rest of the cards work with aim counters mostly whereas this this is standalone like so even the majestic and mobilizing shot is like aim counter dependent dead eye aim counter dependent this uh this card is not which is interesting mm. Do you expect aim counters? What do you think the chances that aim counters are just a bit too finicky and cute that they potentially, you know, they're not too realistic, right? And we might just default back to the old ranger cards, the more the red and the ledgers. Like those cards are fundamentally powerful. Do you think that aim counters are going to be a hit? Yeah, I think so. I honestly think so. I I think, but it's not just the Sandscale Great Bow. I actually look at a card like Point the Tip. I actually think that's probably the most important card that you get in conjunction with these arrows, which is. The uh, zero cost non-attack action that says uh, target face-up arrow in your arsenal gets plus three and put an aim counter on it. So, you know, it's nimblism plus the you, you give the aim counter buff. I'm surprised we only got one of these ability, but I think it's probably mm-hmm. shows the power of that ability of giving the aim counter uh, through a non-attack action. But yeah, I honestly do. I think, not for Lexi, I don't say for Lexi, but for Azalea, I think this is, this to me seems like the way forward. You know, I think it's it's an upgrade. Yeah. Death Dealer is really good. Like, don't don't get me wrong, but... If you are paying one and taking the top card of your deck and putting it into your arsenal, you know you've 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 close to death dealer, but obviously the card is random and yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, the, the one thing that's worth pointing out, right, is like if you, um, uh, yeah, I mean, actually, don't worry, it's it's got to be an arrow card, so you can't even do some cool stuff with the top of the deck. It's going to be less consistent. I think it's going to be interesting to see what people come up with. If you let's look at it this way, say fifty percent of the time you put a card from your hand, fifty percent of the time it's an arrow from the top of your deck. Is that good enough? It might not be, and that might mean that it's you know it's it's not enough because there's also only a certain amount of arrows that actually get these aim counter buffs, and some of them are kind of whatever, right? Like I look at I look at drill shot, like is that is that card good enough? Because piercing, like probably not, right? Yeah, I think that ranger uh, has an interesting dynamic that uh, wizard is also sort of suffering from, where there's there's cards that you want to be able to print for something like Azalea, but if they're they slot in too well to a deck like lexi um they might be too powerful and i think we've seen this a lot with icelander and kano right um that particularly in blitz so yeah a lot of these cards do look 
uh, like they're meant for Azalea. They're meant for the Saints Cow Repo and, you know, this encounter, I guess you could consider like a pseudo archetype. Um, and yeah, I'm not seeing much for Lexi outside of potentially Heatseeker, but, um, We'll see because, you know, Lexi is a balance of, of deck building as well in terms of being able to fuse and what cards you want in the arsenal, et cetera, et cetera. Yep, yep. Of course, we have this Blessing of Focus card, which we haven't talked too much about, which is the you play it and then it's a, a Blessing, so it pops the turn after. At the start of your turn, destroy Blessing of Focus, opt three, reveal the top card of your deck. If it's an arrow, put it face up into your arsenal with a name counter. Like, I guess that is the other non-attack action that works alongside point the tip, and I think that's what's going to give you the ability to, uh, to, to play cards like, you know, uh, dead eye and all this stuff but worth noting like blessing of focus like that card is one for you know yeah. off three and put it into into your um arsenal like that is effectively draw a card for one so like that is that is you know that is okay like yeah i think it's just going to be my concern is like you say everything's tied to the great bow in terms of what you need to do for, for aim counters mm-hmm. i think is there a world where you can play blessings and you can play point the tips and you can still play something like death dealer or maybe even Lexi can do this with, you know, say um, just the bows that already has at its disposal. Is, is that going to be enough? I, probably not, but I'm interested to see because aim counter on something like a, you know, a written ledger does, does nothing. Right. Mm-hmm. So. But at least, at least you can put it in, like the, at least you can put it on there and it's not like you, if you hit a red in the ledger off of your, the encounter can go on there, so you're not like pigeonholing to like it having to go onto these these cards that benefit from it. For sure, for sure. You can still play all the other arrows, which is important. But yeah, we'll, we'll see. Um, I am I'm interested to see from a design perspective, like Ranger at this point in the game's like I guess life, not get just like some strict upgrades, right? Because mm-hmm. I do think that it's like a fundamentally un- underpowered class. We saw it see some success in agro metas, and that that's what it's designed to do. So it was good to see that, right? Good to see that we're probably undervaluing it to some extent. But I would think, you know, maybe as we come to the dynasty, we've seen Rangers kind of consistently fall short. I would not have been would not have been surprised to see some just like strictly upgraded cards. Maybe some things that are a bit above rate for Ranger, but on rate for the rest of kind of flesh and blood right now in terms of like, you know, the math and the quantitative values. Yeah. I think every class got at least one. Heat Seeker is that for Ranger. I think that is the, yeah. the strip, strict upgrade. You know, it's BIOS update for Mech. It's, you know, they're, they're, I think everyone basically did. But yeah, this is not the set of upgrades. This is the set of um, design principles and where you can, you know, differentiating the uh, archetypes of, of the heroes, which is what we wanted. But yeah, like you say, maybe I would have expected if, if anyone was going to get it, I would have thought it'd be Ranger for upgrades, but it actually looks like Mech got the most upgrades. So yeah, it's, yeah, small anecdote is that Matt Rogers at the end of the tournament, um, the end of the World's tournament, I kid you not, quote directly from his mouth is he said that uh, LSS doesn't want Mech to be good. And <laughs> whew, he ate his words in a good way because Mech is freaking great now. It does seem so. But uh, in the comments, let us know. Prove us wrong if you think that we have kind of missed the mark on this one. Uh, we were going to do, we're going to postpone wizard to next week. We're going to go through six classes next week. And, um, so Brendan, you have to wait another week to talk about wizard. I'll let you stew on your thoughts around brainstorm and, uh, you know, all these saps and, and, uh, all these cards. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. It's funny. Cause I think the TLDR on wizard, we're going to get into it later, but there's a lot to talk about, but the, the coolest thing for wizard is that you got so many of these like zero for three effects. And then that blue, the zero for one effects, like that's probably not going to get a lot of a lot of people listening to this excited, but if you play Wizard and if you've played Combo Wizard, that's that's exciting. And potentially this like burn tempo wizard, which we'll talk about. Because it's very exciting. Yeah. Uh okay, Brendan. We're gonna sign off for the week. Wanna say a big thank you again to everyone for listening. This has been our part one of our Dynasty and Constructed pod. We are gonna go through the remaining six classes next week. Um yeah, we've covered Warrior, Mechanologist, 
ranger, uh, brute. So all the big classes, of course, in the game, all the ones that are prominent in the top of the game. Next week, we do all the, the B classes. Uh, so that's going to be... <laughs> We'll, of course, also be talking about Assassin, which I'm sure we'll be spending some time on. Uh, if you do want to follow us on Twitter, me and Brendan are over there on Fab Twitter at Brendan APG and Fian underscore Dale. Uh, come and get involved in the Fab discourse. Marathon, uh, that's all happening in February uh, The in the show notes down below. If you're on YouTube, uh, even if you're on actually Spotify, they're going to be there as well. So you can see the links and stuff to that uh, posted up. And a big thanks to all of our patrons. And do go and check out the, Fish and, uh, the Arsenal Pass YouTube channel we're just at 5k subs and we've got a few more videos heading up in the next week or so including that Chandler Toe deck tech that has gone up. Brendan, until next week. See you next time.